You always sit down in the Laura seat, and then the cat comes up, and you have to slide out of the Laura sitting style. It's true. Yep. Yep. Mic check. Mic check. One, two. Peaks. Peaks and pops. It's time to, uh, maybe time to bust out an oldie but a goodie. Peaks and pops. I have both feet on the floor right now. How about that? You do? Yeah. Good for you. She can be taught. Feet on the floor, head in the clouds. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. What they say. And as we tap the sign that says believe on the way out of the locker room out here, we prepare to launch into Kickstarter Roundup Volume 2. Yeah. <laughs> not sports theme like like it sounded like we were leading into. It's not not a sport. Yeah. I mean, if competitive eating is a sport, I feel like <laughs> the <laughs> work we have Look, put in. I have a lot of respect for people who can cram 85 hot dogs into their stomach, but that is not a sport. They have to work out their stomachs, Paul. They're not athletes. <laughs> They're just not. They're not athletes. Welcome, dear listener, to Most Difficult episode 16 16 sweet 16 yep yeah finally finally our podcast can drive but it can't buy a beer for another five episodes (laughs) and boy what an episode that'll be but for now we have for you dear listener volume two of our kickstarter roundup these are games that a year and a half ago or so i would say on average uh, i pledged some money to the great void that is Kickstarter, and they have all since come in, and we have played them, and we have brought our opinions on them to you mm-hmm. for your consumption. Yeah. Welcome to the Kickstarter round of Volume 2. We've got Petricor. We've got Merchants of the Dark Road. We've got Hidden Leaders. Yes. And we've got Monsters on board. They're here uh, pulling up in their wacky cars. And we'll tell you all about them. But first, this one. On the frozen world of Lumi, life is possible only where the blazing quartz thaws the ice. Here, where the dark of night lasts the whole winter long, there is work to be done. The dark of night lasts the whole winter long. I cannot imagine what kind of just pitch black hellscape exists <laughs> where where it is dark for just weeks at a time. But I cannot imagine. Who would live there? But such a place surely does not exist. Well. But in our fantasies, such as the world of Lumi. Yeah, or like parts of Alaska. Alaska, I'm convinced, doesn't actually exist. Except in the fantasies, much like the world of Lumi, mm-hmm. where the world is dark for 13 weeks at a time in the harshness of winter. But it actually turns out it's not so gloomy as you might think there in Lumi. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. It's not a gloomy Lumi. No. No. <laughs> in fact, it seems like there's quite a lot going on. Yeah. I mean, it looks like they've got lamplight. It looks like they've got uh, fires. So it's not all just pitch black people stumbling over each other and running into doorways. 
and tripping over things. No, there's a market. You can go shopping. Yeah. Yeah, without getting impaled by the swords that you can't see. There's a black market where you can also go shopping. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What else you got? Well, there's a tavern or yeah. an inn. What can you get there? People. Oh, you shop for people. Oh, what yeah. kind of game is this? Well, it's more like a trade for people. For being trading honest. for people. Yeah. What, what are you trading? What kind of game is this? <laughs> well, first you go to the store and you buy some stuff. Yeah. And then you trade it at the inn. Wait a minute. So all I have to do is buy a book, and I can trade that for a human. We good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how it works. Merchants of the Dark Road by Elf Creek Games. They've got some explaining to do about <laughs> about this world that they've created. It is the world of Lumi where the winter is harsh and 13 weeks long and really, really dark. Uh, so dark, in fact, that traveling the roads around is treacherous. But nevertheless, we must persist. And persist we do in the game Merchants of the Dark Road by Elf Creek Games. <laughs> Great intro. <laughs> Thanks. One of the best. Paul. Nailed it. <laughs> uh, this is a Kickstarter game. It uh, is a long time in the making, uh, but I think the the efforts have definitely been a little justified in the production value of this game. It looks really, really good. It does. Uh, and, uh, and, and it feels to me like uh, the product of a lot of love and a lot of, of care. They didn't just kind of just throw stuff in a box and say, here you go. And it's here now on our table. We've played it a few times. And we're now going to tell you, dear listener, what we think about it. So as to inform you, if you see this product (laughs) out on the market. Mm -hmm. Help me out here, Laura. Yeah. If you see it out in the market, then you'll know what we think about it. Yeah. Right. (laughs) It'll be very helpful. So perhaps we should let our dear listener in on a little secret. The first time we actually recorded this review, we tried swapping our roles (laughs) <laughs> where Paul gave some first impressions and yeah. I described the game and turns out didn't actually work so well. Well, we could try it again. Do you want to try oh, it again? Oh boy. You're throwing <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. I'm willing to give it a second shot. All right. All right, let's go for it. All right. Well, what we got on the board here, uh the first thing you'll notice is that the board comes in six puzzle pieces. It doesn't fold out or anything like that. Uh in the upper left of the board, you have this wheel, this kind of this, this magnetic wheel, it, it has a magnet buried right inside the cardboard wheel there, and it just goes pop right onto the board. It holds it in place because you're going to be rotating that wheel like a lazy Susan. Uh, that wheel is where the goods that you will be buying and selling are tracked, specifically their values and how many of those goods are available. The availability of those goods is dictated by some dice that you get. Roll those dice, put them where they belong on the wheel there, Oh, but a staff here and a musical instrument there and some armor and a gun and a Game Boy. And a cat it's a weapon, cat scan not machine. a gun. Oh, you're right. That's true. It is a, a weapon. They say it's a weapon. Uh, but that's in the upper left there. You've got uh, your, your market with the rotating wheel. And then in the lower left, you have the tavern where the heroes hang out. And the tavern uh, has these cards that, that portray the heroes and the things that they want you to sell to them. And if you're able to sell at least one of those things to a hero, then they'll tag along with you on your adventure to distant lands. And as you make your way from the left to the right of the board, uh, now that you're here, the middle of the board here, you've got in the upper middle, you've got the Queen's Commission, 
which is a spot where you can pick up contracts. I'm holding one right now that says the Town of Night poem would really like a musical instrument, a staff, and a, a suit of armor. That'd be really nice. I don't know what kind of parties they throw in Night Poem, but... <laughs> it's better than the CAT scan machine uh, parties <laughs> over there in Northbreak. They don't even have electricity. How are they going to do a CAT scan machine? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, in the middle middle of the board, you have a spot where you pick up deeds. Deeds are the game's little private objectives, goals for you to shoot for at the end of the game in order to give you that little extra, little extra points, little extra juice to put you over the top. And then the bottom middle of the board is the dark market. It's kind of a circle of things you can do. Most of those things involve just giving you stuff. Uh, but at the very bottom of that circle, uh, you have the opportunity to pick up these deeds or maybe to pick up one of the queen's commissions. And then all the way over on the right side of the board is Yurg's Excursions, and it takes up pretty much the whole right side of the board. When you go on Yurg's Excursions, you have a choice. You can go to the Ruins of Yin, which is another one of these dark market kind of things where there's this this circle you you move a little token around and, and wherever it lands you get some stuff usually upgraded goods or you can take a yurg excursion or you can follow yurg on an oh my god yurg's excursion follow yurg on an excursion say that five times fast <laughs> follow yurg on an excursion yeah try it again you can follow <clears throat> You're going to follow your gun an excursion. You can't, you barely, you, <laughs> you barely got that out. Or you can follow Yurg on an excursion out to one of the, the distant cities like Night Poem or Curse Cairn or Far Glen to deliver these contracts you picked up earlier or to deliver the heroes that decided to tag along with you because you sold them a CAT scan machine. That's the board. In between all these little spots, there are these roads. You've got these nice little drawn out roads. Also on the board are some extra buildings that come on these fancy shaped tiles. They they don't have they could have just been like simple rectangles, but they've they're a little flourished on the sides, little pointies on the sides and stuff. Five of those building tiles are available, and each side has a different building. And at the start of the game, you'll mix them up and put them out in the spots on the board. In terms of cards, you've got cards that represent the routes that you take on the dark road to get to those distant cities. You've got cards that represent companions that can come with you. Companions can be activated to give you one-time special boosts. You've got cards that represent a steed that starts the game with you. That's kind of a persistent power that, that helps you out through the whole game. But the real thing you'll be looking at is the wagon. There are four different wagons, one for each player color, and they're all different. Again, they didn't have to be this different, but they are. Uh, and it's very obvious uh, by looking at the wagon in front of you and the, the player marker of yours, which one is yours, beyond just the color. I think that's pretty cool. Your wagon has a spot on the left, a big grid for you to hold the goods that you'll be storing there. Goods are different sizes. A potion is not as big as a weapon, which is not as big as a staff, which is bigger than a book. Uh, above the grid where you're holding your stuff, you've got room for lanterns. Lanterns help you out when you brave those dark roads out to those distant towns. You've got a spot in the lower left of your wagon to hold uh, horseshoes or blazing quartz. Horseshoes will help you when, when picking what action you want to do and the blazing quartz is used. You 
kind of lob that at your companions to unlock things. And then the right side of your wagon is where your dice, your night dice, your blue night dice are going to be stored. And the night dice are what you use to move around the town doing the stuff that you want to do. Uh, and that's about it. There's a, a chart in the middle that comes in handy when using certain abilities, which you'll see in a second. And uh, around the perimeter of your wagon is where you can store your contracts that you pick up or the heroes that are tagging along with you. I find it funny that the heroes are up top, uh, almost like you stick them in a crate and then just tie them. To oh, the, yeah. To they're the sitting on wagon. top of the wagon. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's it. Uh, did I miss anything? The goods, the goods are neat. These uh, these tiles that, that will fit into your storage area on one side, they just look like basic, like a basic potion or whatever. And in our version, we have the deluxe version. The other side is gold foil. I believe in the standard version, it's just gold print, like it's just, you know, yellow. But in our version, we got shiny gold foil versions for the upgraded versions of these goods. I think that's everything. Did I miss anything? There's a lot of stuff in this box. Yep, I think... Uh maybe just the oracle die oh yeah the oracle dice yeah you got a couple extra dice here you've got the oracle die which the game sometimes will just tell you to as a bonus hey roll this oracle die and you say great that's two victory points for me or the uh the game will tell you to roll the ruins die you'll go roll the ruins die and oh that's a that's a hero that'll tag along with me that's great uh i think i think that's it I think that actually might be it. Yeah, anything I missed will probably cover uh, when I hand the baton over to you. To yeah, all right, let's <laughs> do tell, this. Tell us how this game is played. Here's how you play. How do you play this game? Mm -hmm. In a nutshell, yeah. you're going to be going clockwise around the board. Yep. And you start at the intersection of the inn and the bazaar. Yep. And going clockwise around the board, it is inn, then bazaar, then queen's commissions where you get the contracts, then Yurg's excursions. Yurg's excursions. Then the dark market, then you're back to the inn. Yep. And you will use your dice to determine how far you will move. And you always go to the intersection between two spots. Yep. So when you end your turn, you'll be on an intersection between two spots and you'll be able to choose if you'd like to take the action at the first spot or the second spot, or in some occasions, the action at both as well as whatever's down the alley with those nicely bordered cards Paul mentioned. Yeah. So how do you know how far you move? How, how does your turn play? How, how does your turn play? Well, as Paul mentioned, on the right-hand side of your wagon player mat, yeah. you have slots for three night dice. Yeah. Uh, in addition to the backup that you will be rolling and moving into those slots to determine what you're going to do. So you will take your rolled night dice. You will choose one of them, and you will bump it into a slot of one of the three currently placed night dice. Yep. Uh, and then you will nudge that one over a little bonus action and into your action spot. So, for example, uh, the leftmost, there are three slots for your night dice. The leftmost slot, when you advance it to actually take the movement, will go over a little bonus that lets you get a free good, which is indicated by the face on that die. There's a little chart here in the middle of your cart to tell you which good you get for free. So if I bump a three die out of that spot and up over this thing that gives me an item, uh, that's going to give me a staff. Right. Free staff. Boop. Right into my cart. That's how it works. And then if we're using the example of your number three yeah. die that you moved up there, then you would also move three intersections 
clockwise around the board and choose one of the two locations to take your action. In the case that we are just currently acting out right now that you, dear listener, cannot see. two, three. (laughs) Paul has ended between Jurg's excursions and the dark market. Yeah. So he would take one of those two actions. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and just quickly mention what the other dice positions do, and then we'll talk about what actually happens in each of the locations. Yeah. So the middle die location will go across a little bonus that gives you either a free lantern or allows you to play your illuminated die. Your orange die. Your illuminated die. Yeah, it's very smart. It's very illuminated. And if you choose to take the lantern, that's easy. You just plop another lantern on your cart. But if you choose to use your illuminated die, and you have to have one to be able to do that, yeah. they are hard to come by. Once you start you the your, game with one. You do. But after that, they're hard to replenish. You really got to work for it. Then when you end your turn, you would get to take both actions. Yep. So if we'd moved the middle die and landed between Yurg's excursions and the dark market, we would do both of those locations activities. I'm going to do this one. Boom. And then I'm going to do that one. Boom. Yep. As well as whatever's down the alley. And I'm going to do that one. Boom. The down the alley buildings have nice little perks, but... As I mentioned, since those illuminated die are so difficult to come by, you will likely only get to encounter one or two in the course of a normal game. Yep. And then the last die position on your cart goes over a bonus that lets you either take two money or rotate the market magnet wheel Paul mentioned by one space. Oh, look at that. Books are less expensive now. But wait a minute, armor just went from one to five. Man, armor's hot right now. So hot right now. <laughs> I also probably... Hot armor. Go ahead. Do you want to say hot armor again? No. I also probably should have mentioned that when you do choose to use the illuminated die, you also have your choice of which of those two numbers, either the, the illuminated die's number or the night die's number, to use as your movement. Yeah. All right. Doing well so far. Doing doing well. Where I do you need some water? You want to Maybe, stretch? Maybe yeah. I'm gonna take a sip. stretch. Yeah. I'm gonna pause. And go. All right. So here's what happens <laughs> in a little bit more detail at each of the locations, so yeah. you can kind of get a sense of how the game comes together and how you get points. Yeah. Shocking. This is a points based game. However. Oh. There's two points tracks, essentially. Yep. One is visible on the board. Bordering Yurg's excursions is your... Prestige points. Mm-hmm. Where you'll move your little token along the track so everybody knows exactly how you're doing there. We all know how to do that. That's standard Euro fare. Yeah. Then there's your money behind your secret screen. Nobody knows how much money I have. And at the end of the game, you will get points based on whichever of those two is less for you. So it sounds like I need to keep them both neck and neck in order to really have a chance to win. That's the idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So how do you do that? Uh, starting with the inn. Okay. This is where you're going to pick up your travelers. And as Paul mentioned, you lure them into a cushy position on top of your cart. Uh, with a good, <laughs> each traveler, well, with a couple of exceptions, there are priests who only want one good, but most travelers are looking for three different goods. You only have to give them one, but you can give them all three and you get paid. Hi. 
My name's Oswald. Mm, tell me more, Oswald. What goods are you interested in? I like books. I like staves. I like musical instruments. And if you can sell me one of those three things at least, I'll give you a lantern and I'll come with you to Night Poem. Each traveler has goods that they want and will pay you for some kind of perk for taking them on like Oswald's lantern. Hi, my name is Atlantes. I want a staff, a book, and a potion. I'll also give you a lantern and I'm going to curse Cairn. Fantastic. <laughs> so, I think you get the idea. No, I think I should. I think maybe we need to do one more. Can you pick one that doesn't want a lantern? Hi, my name's Orgrim. <laughs> I want a book, a staff, and an armor. I've also got a lantern. Do you need lanterns? <laughs> I only have four slots for lanterns. Man, I don't know why I picked all the ones that will give you lanterns if they come with you, but there's more bonuses than just lanterns. Yeah, things like they can hold a good, yeah. they can... They give you a horseshoe, or maybe they'll give you... Oh, horseshoes. Yeah, horseshoes. Or maybe they'll give you... Wow, man, all these people want to give you are horseshoes and lanterns, and maybe that's actually for a reason, because those are the only things that are useful, which you'll hear in a bit. All right, so there you go. You can actually only pick up one traveler at the end, so yeah. those other guys trying to offer you their lanterns are going to have to wait for the next round. Yes. Uh, but... Yep, you can pick up a person there. If you give them at least one good, you'll get some money for doing that. Uh, if you sell them an upgraded good, you will... Get a blazing quartz, which you'll use later. All right, next position. You've got the Great Bazaar. That's your market where you can buy the goods with the wheel. Uh, it's pretty simple up there. There is uh, a cost associated with each position on the wheel, and the six different possible goods that you can have are on the wheel, and the wheel rotates around, and the prices change as the wheel rotates. Uh, additionally, you can buy all of the goods of a certain type, if available, uh, for that one cost. For example, currently looking at the wheel, there are five goods dice uh, I see two on instruments, one on armor, one on the staff, and one on the weapon. So I could buy both of those musical instruments for the low, low price of $1. Yeah, you get that first one, you pay for it. Second one's free. Mm -hmm. There's also a free action you get to take if you do go to the bazaar, where you can, upon landing there, rotate the wheel if you want to change the prices of things, and also move one die from its current face to any face that you want. So if you yeah. go there and there's no dice on potion and you really want a potion, you can pick up one of the other ones and rotate it so that you can buy it. Yep. Stuff is very rarely completely unavailable to you. Uh, it might be available at a price you don't want to pay, um, but you can almost always get what you want. All right. That's the bazaar. The Queen's Commission's next is very, very simple. You simply take the top of one of the stacks. They are arranged by where the commission needs to go. So a good idea would be to pick a commission of either a color that also corresponds to a traveler you're going to drop off or to pick a commission that corresponds to the goods in your cart. Yeah. Both of those are good ideas. Yeah, that would explain why I never did them in any of the games we played. Because I don't really do good ideas. <laughs> <laughs> you can also take a look at what your opponents are starting to collect as far as city colors because travelers and commissions are public knowledge. Yeah. Uh, so you can see if someone's 
gathering up some greens and you may not have any green cities. The cities are color coded. Yeah. Uh, maybe you want to grab a wind glass commission so that you can be prepared to piggyback on that other year's excursion. You can piggyback when someone travels? You sure can. Let's talk about your... Ex- <laughs> it's so so hard to say. You sure can. Let's talk about Yurg's excursions next. Let's try to talk Woo! about. Let's try to say Yurg's excursions. Okay, so Yurg's excursions is, I would say, the focal point of the game. Yep. It is called Merchant of the Dark Road. This is where you encounter the dark road, the darkest of roads. Mm-hmm. So you go on an excursion. There's a bunch of choices to make. First of all, do you want to go to a city? Or do you want to go to the ruins of Yen? Translation, do you want to brave the dark road? Or do you want to wimp out by just going to the ruins next door? Okay, so the ruins get you upgraded goods. Upgraded goods are great because they get you more money if you turn in a commission with an upgraded good. They get you that blazing quartz if you lure a traveler from the inn. uh, Check out this artisan book. Exactly. Ooh, gold shiny. Yeah. Um, or, right, if you're going to go to a city that really is the the bulk of the game that you're building up to, and there's a bunch of choices to make. When you go on a journey, you have travel dice. And the travel dice is the number of people who are coming on the journey with you. You announce, hey, I'm going to the Purple Towns, the Purple Region. Who's yep. coming with me? And I'm going with you. Quiet, Oswald. Oswald, you're going with me everywhere. You're literally strapped <laughs> to my cart. Um, but your opponents may wish to come with you and sure. also deliver a commission or a traveler or both. Uh, so the number of players coming with you is the number of dice you will roll. You've got to decide if you want to take the shortcut or the dark road. You have to pay some landers if you want to take the shortcut. And both of these roads have an event card that you will flip and you will read. And then you'll have to roll some dice. And then uh, you will choose a die in player order because other people can piggyback with you. What kind of bonus slash penalty you will have to take depending on the event that you have revealed. I'm reading one right now. Hi, rollers. Luck is with you tonight at the traveling casino. Drink and music are plentiful and it feels as though you can't lose. And down at the bottom of this card, uh, there is an option to lose two money or lose a good. Uh, there is an option to downgrade a good. I assume those are the lower number of dice rolls you're reading. Definitely. Uh-huh. Or there is an option to gain a musical instrument or a potion. And all the way here at number six, there is an option to roll the oracle die, which is always good. Rolling the oracle die is great. Always gives you something good. So there you have it. The perks on the shortcut are going to be a little bit better than the perks on the dark road. But but if you take the dark road, you leading the excursion will get the first choice of dice, meaning you will get the hopefully best outcome unless you're crap at choosing dice. <laughs> you should probably be playing a different game. Mm-hmm. Hmm, I could choose between rolling the oracle die or losing two money. But if you go on the shortcut, you get the last choice of dice. Oh, yeah. But Not so good. there's got to be a good reason to be taking that shortcut. Oh, I see you're feeding it to me because I was going to forget. Yeah. Uh, thank you. That's sweet. <laughs> right. So when you complete a delivery yeah. of people or commissions. Yep. If you choose the dark road, yeah. you will get one choice off of this menu of sweet options, which I will run through real quick. Yeah. But if you choose the shortcut, you will get two. That's right. So you may be surrendering your your choice of the travel dice on the way there, but once you get there, 
there's some there's some pretty sweet stuff to be had once yeah. you arrive. So the sweet stuff includes, well, most importantly, a cart upgrade. Yeah. There is an upgraded version of each of the perks that you get for moving a night die up into the, I'm going to take this move position. So if I want to bump up a die on the left side here, normally it gives me a regular good. But if I get that upgrade, what's it get me? Get you an upgraded good. This is one of the best <laughs> I love it. upgrades in the game. I go for it every time. Mm-hmm. There's also one that lets you get the lantern and the illuminated die instead of having to choose either or. Yep. And then the last slot there gives you three money instead of two and gives you a victory point. Yay. Uh, a prestige point. Prestige rather. point. Uh, then you've got a, a two uh, victory point, which is going to be added on to whichever score you end up with at the end of the game that yeah. you just have to take up a two slot in your wagon for. You've also got an extra steed that locks in one of the horseshoe spots there. Yep. And you've got a lantern that locks in one of your lantern slots that lets you always roll the ruins die for free when you go to the ruins of Yin. Yeah, it's kind of like a pseudo permanent lantern, but only in certain circumstances. Can't, mm-hmm. can't really fit that on a token though. So they just have a little helpful graphic there. You do have a max of one cart upgrade. So choose wisely. The yep. other perks there are also really excellent. Yep. One is that you can get another illuminated die. which That's like the chief way of getting more illuminated dice. Mm-hmm. You can also get one of the deeds from the center, which is another uh, end game scoring condition. There's public ones. And if you take one of the public ones, there's a little perk associated with it, either two prestige points or a good of your choice in a horseshoe. Or you could take from the top of the deck, in which case nobody knows what you're going for, but you also might get something that's tough for you to do. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Usually not worth it. Usually worth it just to take the one you can't do just for the perk that comes with it. Yep. And then there's uh, $3 as another possible yeah, win. It's money. When you go on an excursion, you also have a animal companion that you will choose at the beginning. I forgot to mention that. Yeah. The animal companion doesn't really do anything except for possibly give you one more travel die to roll. Yep. Uh, but also has a perk that you can use if, as Paul mentioned, you lob a piece of burning quartz at it. Yeah, burning quartz you can get uh, from heroes when you give them upgraded goods. You also might get it from rolling the oracle die, and maybe there's a couple other places that'll give you some burning quartz. Mm-hmm. But chiefly from selling upgraded goods to travelers. Yeah. And then lastly, you have the dark market. The dark market is a cheap way to buy goods. You spend $1 to move the black market token, which is in one of four positions. You move it clockwise around the positions. Uh, You can move it as many times as you would like. So if you want to take the same action where it currently is because you must move it. Yep. You would pay $4 to go and around then you can take that again. But it's a really good deal because for $1, you can get two goods. Yeah. Uh, in fact, every position is two goods, not of your choice. They're fixed. Yeah. But there's also in one position, the option to grab a queen's commission or grab a deed. That's the game. If we can zoom out for a second, the, the kind of hamster wheel mm-hmm. goes like this. Go to the market, get some goods. Yep. Get down to the inn, sell some goods to some travelers. Maybe stop by the Queen's Commissions, pick up a commission for any goods that you haven't sold to travelers. Then get yourself to Yurg's Excursions and boogie on out to one of those distant towns. And drop off your people. Yep. Sell your commissions. Yep. Get the points for selling your commissions. So commissions will actually get you prestige when you turn them in, not yep. dollars. Yeah. Dollars come chiefly from selling things to travelers. Yep. 
uh, and uh, maybe every now and then stop by the dark market to pick up some some goods on the sly if you don't want to go pick them up at the actual legit market. And then you've got these bonus buildings, like we mentioned, that are, are in between these buildings that you'll get a chance to go to maybe once or twice over the course of the game. There's too many of them to talk about, but their bonuses are, are, are nice. Anything from simple like a blazing quartz to uh, converting one type of resource to another type of resource if you want to. Fun little little extra things you can do if you're willing to cough up your illuminated die. Yeah, and basically you just do that. What did we determine? 13 times? Yeah, 13 rounds. So you have the seven dice. Yep. And you have three locked in position to start with. And then you have the four that you're going to move into those slots. Yep. And then after those four have moved through, before you re-roll them, you get rid of one. So you'd only be re-rolling three. Yep. So that becomes the timer on the game. You end up using all of your night dice. Additionally, the horseshoes will let you bump up or down by one the number on the die that you choose so that you have a little more flexibility with you know, where you're going to land. I've chosen the, the night die that lets me move three, but I don't really want to move three. I only want to move two. So I'm going to spend this horseshoe to put the brakes on and uh, tell them, whoa, and, and only move two. Yeah, that's, that's the game. That's it. It's a kind of a pick up, deliver, move resources around for 13 rounds. And at the end of the game, like we said, you compare your prestige points and your money. And whichever you have the fewer of is your base victory points. And then maybe you'll look at your deeds that will give you a little extra this or a little extra that. If you have that two victory point thing in your cart, you'll get some victory points from that. Uh, And then whoever has the most victory points at the end is the best merchant of the darkest road. What do we think? Well, there are a few things that I really like about this. Yeah. One is just the overall world that is created. Definitely a lot of strong artistic direction here. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful board. It's nice to look at. The components are nice. There's a lot of love that goes into the, you know, little details, like all of the travelers have a name. And oh, yeah, I, and I have to. This is confession time here. We've actually been making fun of Oswald using the old man voice. Poor Oswald. No, if I remember right, he was like, "Hi, I'm Oswald." The person we really should have been making fun of this whole time was Atlantes. So get back on the top of the wagon there, Atlantes. <laughs> oh, all right. And uh, likewise, the event cards remind me a little bit of the event cards when you're on the way to a Gloomhaven. Yeah level what's the word i'm looking for a scenario scenario right you're just like oh you see green birds in the sky what do you do Mm -hmm. Mm. do you shoot them or do you not shoot them and then you have to read based on your choice (laughs) exactly yeah um even the steeds that will draw your carriage each of the steeds has a special ability that you will have throughout your game which can kind of help inform maybe how you want to play your game oh this is a great one right here this is a velvet Ooh, what is that is that a moose or is that a big elk i don't know your wagon can have unlimited upgrades. When you gain a wagon upgrade, gain two prestige. So our friend Rob, when playing this, yeah. had that steed. and He was got like, a whole of them. He got several wagon upgrades. Yeah. And of course, like if you have that ability, you should do that. It's super powerful. It does mean that you need to lead a Yurg's excursion multiple times to get that. Yeah. But so worth it. 
Additionally, I like the little mini game of fitting your goods into your wagon. <laughs> Didn't really talk too much about it. Uh, Paul kind of set it up at the beginning that the back of the wagon is a grid. It is uh, five by six. And this is where you'll be stacking your goods that you purchase. If you cannot fit them in your grid. You got to dump them. Yeah. Fit it or dump it. That's that's what we say so on you the can dark always, road. <laughs> that's what we say. <laughs> you can always rearrange it, which is is nice because if you know that you've got to just make a space for a two by two book yeah, uh, and you're looking at your grid and you're like, well, I've got five open squares. I should be able to fit this book. Then take a minute to kind of rearrange things and you'll get it in there. You can't dump that two victory point upgrade though. That's in your cart. Like it is, there's a padlock on there. It is stuck on your cart. Nothing you can do. Number three thing I like. Number three thing. Yeah. Is I like the way that you have to use your dice to move yeah and like that you get to choose between two different locations when you land there so you can do a little bit of setting yourself up by choosing numbers to move into the slots that you know might plan for next time to land in a certain place but it's also a bit a little bit restrictive because you know if you happen to get a really unfortunate roll yeah then you're just kind of stuck with what you're stuck with so it's a fun mechanic it's unusual i haven't seen anything quite like it and it is just the right amount of freedom and restraint. Yeah. The horseshoes help out to give you that extra plus one or minus one. But there's always something interesting to do. You may not be able to move where you want to go, but you can almost always find something interesting to do at the place that is dictated to you where you're going to go. Yes. Yes. Uh, and, and that's, I think that's good. Lesser games have limited you by your card draw or your dice roll. And, and you're just like, <laughs> you don't get to do anything you want on this turn. Isn't this fun? Uh, but this game's not quite like that. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Paul? I agree with all that stuff. Uh, I agree with the effort they put into giving each of the heroes names and uh, the, the components feel really nice. They feel good in your hands. These dice are solid. It's always good to, to roll nice, solid dice. I, I actually kind of dig the um, travel dice thing where you, you roll the dice and lay it out and hope that you, you get something good. It's kind of neat that if you take the shortcut, other people get to choose the dice before you do, which means you're probably going to end up you know losing a couple of bucks or something, and that'll get made up for by the fact that you get to get two of those those fortunes mm-hmm. when you deliver stuff into the town. I like that you can piggyback on other people's stuff. You kind of alluded to this earlier. You can see that someone is prepping for a trip to wine glass, and you're like, oh, well, I, maybe I'll just piggyback with them. When you go out to the distant towns, like Laura mentioned, they're color-coded. You've got two towns that are purple, two towns that are blue, and two towns that are green. And if... If Laura's going to wine glass, I can also accompany her and I can kind of at the last second veer off over into Far Glen instead because it's also a green town. Yep. There's a light and a dark of each color region. Yep. So, uh, yeah, you can only pick one of the two cities to go to. Yep. But when you're piggybacking on somebody else's trip, as long as you're in the same region as they're going, you can tag along. So that's neat. It keeps you a little bit engaged. Uh, on what uh, other players are doing on their turns. Yep. Uh, let's see. What else do I like? I, you know, you hit you hit it on the head. You hit all the high points. I think. Now it's time for what I've heard referred to as the mid-review turnaround. <laughs> bum bum. Yeah. Who? Where do you want to start? It's um. Let's just start with what I mentioned earlier: the hamster wheel. Yeah. This game is a thirteen-round hamster wheel. It's go to the market to get the goods. 
sell the goods to the heroes or, or pick up a commission for spare goods, go to the excursions, go out to the towns, do that over again. That'll probably take you, what, three or four turns to do. Uh, we're using turns and rounds interchangeably. Uh, you know, there's 13 turns or 13 rounds. Uh, that'll take you probably three or four turns to do, and then you just do that over again. You'll do that maybe three times, and that's it. You don't really get any better. You don't really get any more efficient. Nope. There's no engine that you're building here. And that's, I don't know if that's kind of a hallmark of the pickup and deliver genre. We don't really have a lot of those, but I'll tell you something. It feels like you ought to be getting something other than, you know, prestige points or money that you don't really need. At the end of the last game we played, I had money that I just didn't know what to do with. I was just hoarding money inadvertently and having a difficult time translating that into the other yeah point track into the other point track yeah it just feels a little bit like a treadmill like a hamster wheel and that ends up feeling whatevery as much as i don't like being that vague you kind of start the game play the game you finish the game and you say well that was the game there's no narrative arc. There's no journey. There's no, oh, remember that move that you did that really blocked me? Not really. It's uh, it's unfortunate. It's, it's very mid-level. It's very flat line. I don't want to say vanilla because vanilla is delicious. Uh, but it, it's... Also, it's not vanilla. No. It's definitely not vanilla. It's just not, it's just not eventful, I think, is really what it settles down to. Yeah. This isn't, there's no, there's no events in this game. I mean, other than the literal actual events that you draw from the deck, there's nothing, there's no big moment. There's no big play. There's no power play. Uh, you know, maybe you set yourself up a pretty efficient journey into Curse Cairn where you drop off two heroes and a couple of commissions or something. Yay. But, but there's no, there's no throwdown moment where everyone goes, oh, what a great play. And, and for that, I think, I don't I don't think it warrants a spot on our shelf. What do you think? I would also like to add oh. the You're gonna keep me in suspense about whether it warrants a spot on our shelf. Well, I just didn't want to neglect to mention Okay. The thing that single handedly poked a hole in all of our games when we last played this with Rob. Okay. Which is the potion oh. and the instrument. <laughs> yeah. Both being Shades of green. Uh, one of the, yeah. you know, the overall aesthetic of the game has a lot of overlap in, in like, it's got a richly realized color scheme. Yeah. And the, the light and dark colors of the cities also are used uh, in the same colors for the different faces of the market dice. Yeah. And those colors that are backgrounds on the market dice are also used in the corresponding iconography that will occur on the Queen's commissions and on the traveler cards for what they want to buy. Yeah, there, now that I'm looking at it, there are no warm colors used anywhere except on the icons for the illuminated dice. No, they have, there's a vision here. So there's yeah. definitely an artistic vision. But specifically the issue with the instrument and the potion being the same color, uh-huh. light green and dark green, <laughs> is that in the small icons on the commissions and on the traveler cards, you can't really tell if it's the light green or the dark green. And moreover, the potion is like a little vile teardrop shape. Bulbous on the bottom and skinny on uh top. And the instrument they choose is like... Bulbous on the bottom and skinny on top. Same shape. Yeah. So 
all three of us, you, me, and Rob, yeah. each independently had a moment where we definitely thought <laughs> we were dealing with one or the other of those yeah. when it was the opposite. But to add insult to injury, oh. the potion is the smallest thing to put in your cart, <laughs> and the yeah. instrument is the largest. Yeah, and so you think you're getting a potion, and someone drops a loot on your doorstep. You can't fit that. <laughs> like, what did I just spend my money on? And not only that, but it's been taking up a third of my car. Yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's not good. Unfortunately, you know, maybe with you know more plays, you'd really be able to just spot the difference. But we've played this game probably three or four times now, and and it 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 tends to bite us every time. That last game was the most egregious. Yeah, that's that's the experience playing the game is is it's a pick up and deliver game. And and I look, I don't want to trash this game. Uh, no, this one was a hard call for us. I'm gonna cut right to the chase. Yeah. Uh, it does. It's not going to stay on our shelves. Oh, okay, great. But it was a little bit tougher. Yeah, to pass on this one than some other things. We yeah. This is. I think this is one of the hardest passes we've had to do. Real, real, yeah. real close. Real close. Yeah. If there was just something a little bit more, it would probably stay on our shelf. But as it sits, we're gonna box this up, send it on down the dark road. Maybe someone out there in uh, night break can make use of it. Well, Laura, as you know, I have a birthday coming up. It's the one we've all been dreading. Yep, the big one. The big 4-4. You know those palindromes, such downers. Yep, <laughs> that means my life is officially half over. And what better way to celebrate my impending decline <laughs> than with a party full of the, of the undead, the, the spooks and specters and ghouls and goblins and ghosts. And mummies and witches and oh, man, Frankenstein I, monsters. I wish we had been able to come up off the top of our head with another M word. Oh, mummies and monsters and pink tentacly dudes. I want to have them all over. I want to just, I want this place to be packed to the gills with fish people who also have gills. What about skulls that like to ride inside of other skulls? <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? Yo, dog. I heard you like skulls, so I put a skull in your skull so you can skull while you skull. And the way they're going to get here is through these really uh, cantankerous jalopies that will strike fear into anyone who sees them, but they're mobile. So one might call them fear mobiles. One might. And if you were to be able to stand to look at one of these fear mobiles <laughs> for more than 30 seconds, you'd see in the back window, there'd be a big sticker that would say monsters on board. Bum, monsters on board. Monsters on board. A Kickstarter that finally just came to us a few weeks ago. From Final Frontier Games. And uh, it was kickstarted uh, successfully in September of 2020. Uh, but it's here now on our table, and we have now played it. We've had the lights scared out of us. It's terrifying. Not for reasons <laughs> you might think, but we'll get to that. Let's talk about what's in the box first. Yeah. And uh, dear listener, understand that, that like uh, most things, if I'm going to go, I go deluxe. So we've got a whole lot of plastic here. Mm -hmm. We've got ourselves uh, player boards. 
And these player boards are double layered in certain spots. And the spots on the player board will hold dice, of which there are one, two, three, four, five, six colors. Other things that the player board will hold uh, is your little malice marker. The deluxe version is this little plastic hand coming up out of the ground. It's a sound hands make. So the player board has two different sides. There's the side where all of your grunts are going to be. Yep. That is the village side. Yeah, it's like the long pathway. To Paul's party. To Paul. Yep, to the big party. Starts in the upper left and it winds like a snake all the way to the lower right. Yep. And then the left-hand side has a bunch of slots that are conveniently shaped exactly the size of your dice. (laughs) Good work. Yeah. That's where your dice are going to go, spoiler alert. Yeah. And you also have a tiny little track here for the... Malice. Malice track that Paul mentioned earlier. Yeah. Yep. Also on your player board here are your six grunts. And in the deluxe version, they are six different types of monsters. You've got your mummy, your skeleton, your wolfman, your witch. Your tentacly monster. Your tentacly monster and your uh, Frankenstein. Monster. Your Frank, your, oh, right. Mm-hmm. That's right. No, actually, we're the monsters. This is just Frankenstein's creation. Oh, ooh, yeah. I've see. watched that movie. I know. You also have your minions, which are the skulls that appear to be riding in some kind of other I think with goblin are, head. Yeah, I think they're bird. like really lowbrow, big nose goblins with uh, skull hats. Oh. They, they're kind of dragging their hands on the ground. They it's got big ears. It's a skull hat. It's a skull hat. Minions. Yeah, lots of plastic little minis. They're charming. I yeah. like the minis. They're cute enough. Mm-hmm. It's real interesting that my mummy looks like your mummy. Everyone's mummy looks the same. This is maybe uh, in parallel dimensions, crisis on infinite, you know, haunted houses, where you know my universe's mummies and and tentacly dudes are coming to my party, and your universe's mummies and tentacly dudes are coming to yours. That's probably it. That's probably it. I haven't looked at the lore in the rule book. <laughs> uh, they probably explain it all there. I'm sure they do. So then also, yeah. You have a whole bunch of dice. Lots of dice. Lots of dice. Mm -hmm. In great colors. Yeah. You got your blue, your pink, your yellow, your red, your green, your black. One coincidentally for each of the colors of... Your grunt monsters that we just talked about. Mm Mm-hmm. Plus you have three pumpkin dice. Yep. Three pumpkin dice. And you have these uh, little summoning stones, these little pointy summoning stones. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and that's it on your player board. Then you've got the communal board. In the middle here. Which basically has a couple of markets on it. Yep. A market for tokens and a market for cards yep. for end of the game scoring. Yep. Then you also have the scoring track, of course. Scoring track. And then a small deck of secret end of game objective cards. Yeah. And of course the fear mobiles. Fear mobiles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure that's how you pronounce it. The the cardboard dice holding jalopies. Whoa, whoa. Cardboard. No, 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 no. Yeah, wait, wait, sure. Yeah, you're actually holding cardboard. Yes. But if you look over there. 
Oh, that's true. These are the <laughs> these are the ones that come in the base game. Yeah, these are the ones that come in the base game. But like I said, we deluxe everything in this house. Yeah. So there's also big plastic minis. We didn't even pull them out of the box. I mean, no. to look at them, yes. But yeah, big honking plastic fear mobiles. Yep. Right there in the box, and in the box they have stayed. That's the game. So now that we know how everything looks, let's talk about how this game plays. This is a dice drafting game. Uh, like we mentioned, it comes with a big bunch of dice. It takes place over six rounds, and every round is going to play exactly the same. First, everyone's going to pull four dice out of that bag. Roll, 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 roll. Boom. There's your dice. Let's describe these dice real quick. Oh, yeah. That's right. They're, these are not your average dice, folks. No. In addition to coming in a variety of candy colors, plus licorice, they also have a variety of sigils on them. Yeah. So we'll just run through those real quick. I'm looking at a pink three here that yeah. has a pumpkin face. The pumpkin face lets you increment the number on your pumpkin die yeah. of your choice. You have three, one for each row of dice slots. Yep. I've also got a plus or minus in bones here. Yep. That will let you increment or decrement one of your already placed dice in your dice grid. And I also have this little triangle symbol, which indicates that I can move one of my triangle monuments up their tracks, which go beneath every row of dice. Yeah. Every row that you'll be putting dice into has a little track below it with a little with its own little summoning stone that moves up there. And as you move those summoning stones up their own little tracks there that unlocks stuff for you to do. What do you have on your die, Paul? So I got a blue die, and I'm looking at the blue three, and it has a pumpkin, which lets me manipulate a spider jack die. It has one of these triangles, like you said, but it also has a foot, and that foot lets me move one of my uh, grunt monsters here, one of my reg- one of my monsters, like my wolfman or my mummy, uh, one space forward in the town along the snake towards the end of the path. Doesn't have to be the blue one, uh, but I get to choose any one. All kinds of other little symbols on here. What do we got? Oh, we got a die that gives you a minion that lets you take a minion and put it any anywhere in any of the spots on the board. And we'll cover why you'd want to do that in a second. And then there's the uh, the fist for moving up the malice track. Yeah. I think that's it. I think so too. Yep. So you will be reaching into the bag. You'll be rolling these dice. And then with those four dice, you will put them into your little fear car here. And then from the fear car... You'll take one of those dice right back out and you'll put it in the the spot on your player board here called the driveway. Boop, right in there. And then you pass that that fear mobile to the neighbor on your left and then you'll get one from the neighbor on your right and you take a die from there. Boop, put it in your driveway. Do that two more times. Now you got four dice. Now everyone can kind of operate at their own pace what you're going to do is you're going to use those dice to move your your grunt monsters, the people coming to your party. They're not people. They're monsters. They're undead. Is Wolfman a person? I mean, despite the fact that he has man in the name. What do you think, Laura? And Mummy was a person. That's true. Uh, Mummy might still be a person. We'd really have to peek under those bandages. But in any case, the dice that I have here in my driveway that I have picked, uh, those colors indicate which of my... Uh, monsters are going to continue to move down that path. So if I have two blues, a green, and a black, then that means my blue monster will move twice, the green monster will move once, and the black monster will move once. And as you snake down this path, some of the spots are empty, and some of the spots have little 
things that you do pre-printed on them. For example, the blue monsters spaces uh, that have abilities on them are always going to involve manipulating these uh, spider jack dice. We'll cover those in a second. The pink monster uh, will always have spaces allowing you to gain some malice. So if you really, really need some malice, then you can start focusing on picking up some pink dice. And it lets you fill any gaps in what you're trying to accomplish. Once you've moved all your monsters, now you have to pick three dice to move down to the spider jack area that we talked about. The spider jack area has 18 slots in it. And because there are six rounds and you're moving three dice down there. Six times three is 18, Paul. That's, that's true. I was trying to do that math in my head, but thank you. You've, you're on the ball, as usual. <laughs> uh, in theory, that whole area will be filled up at the end of the game. But these spider jack dice that we keep talking about, if they are not a high enough value, uh, then you're going to start throwing out dice at the end of the game in order to get down there. So, for example, uh, one of these rows here has a six on the spider jack die. Uh, that means that row can hold all six dice. But if this die down here at the, on the third row only has a three on it by the end of the game, but I have five dice in there, I got to get rid of two of those dice, the ones at the very end of the row. I don't get to use them. So keeping those, those spider jack dice up uh, really high is very important. Now you've moved three of your dice down into the spider jack area. And every time you move a die down, you get to use those icons that we talked about earlier. Hey, I'm moving this blue die down into the spider jack area. It's got a couple of triangles and a foot. So for each of those triangles, I get to take one of my three little monument stones here and move it one spot up its track. If I land on something, I get that bonus. And then for that foot, I get to pick one of my monsters. I get to move it down the path towards the party zone. And if you land on something, you get to do that bonus. You do that three times, moving those three dice down. You always got to put it in the leftmost spot in whichever row you choose. And then with that fourth die, that goes into your malice spot. And that's where the number on the die comes into play. There's a little chart here. Uh, if it's a one or a two, you get one malice. If it's a three or a four, you get two malice. And if it's a five or a six, you get three malice. Malice is important because once everyone has done all of this stuff, we all kind of put our heads back up. And in turn order, we get a chance to buy stuff from the market. Everyone gets a chance to either buy a card from the bottom row of cards here or a little ghost token from the tokens at the top of the main board here. And the tokens at the top of the main board, the ghost tokens, get placed over part of a path for one of your monsters. Ideally, you'll want to put it on a spot that doesn't already have some kind of ability on mm -hmm. it. Because they're abilities yep. or bonuses. Yeah, all kinds of stuff from, uh, again, moving monuments or, or plusing or minusing dice or moving extra monsters. You can unlock second monster grunts or third monster grunts. So if you want a second mummy, you can just buy the little ghost token that has the yellow mummy monster icon on it. And boom, you've unlocked a second mummy. It's cool to have second or third copies of monsters because they'll bonk each other on the head if they get in their way. Uh, this is where those minions come into play that we talked about earlier, the, the goblins with the skull hats. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you'll have the opportunity to put a minion on the path leading to the party zone. And again, if a, a monster bops the head of one of the minions, he just like Mario style goes and, and moves right on to the next space. That's going to be the main way you get your monsters down the path. If you just let them move on their own pace, they'll never make it down there. Yeah, there are... 11 spots and then the ending spot. So in 
six rounds of drafting three dice, it's unlikely yeah. out of 18 dice that you're going to get 11 <laughs> of one color and naturally progress one of these folk all the way to the end. Yeah. So having minions stand in the path of the monster that you want to advance yeah. so that they have to skip that space checkers style because something is there. Get bonked, minions. Yeah, can yeah. really help you get to the finish line. Yeah, and getting to the finish line is important because at the end of the game, any of your monsters that you've made it to the finish line with uh, will give you points for dice of that color here in the spider jack area. So for instance, at the end of the game, I got my, my red monster, this witch, to the end of the path. Uh, and I got three points for each of the red dice in my spider jack area. And I had one, two, three, four. So that gave me 12 points. If I did my math, I, I'm not as good as math as as my dear my dear beloved no yours were worth five each that's right they were worth five each because of a card that i bought so that meant five ten fifteen twenty they were worth 20 points these red dice were in my spider jack area i on the other hand got two extra witch monsters so i had three red witch monsters and every time i took a red die i got to advance each of them and they all just jumped over each other it was great yeah and so they all ended up here in the finish line at paul's party and I got to get six points per red die because even though I didn't have a bonus card to make them worth more, yeah. each one was worth two points per red die. Not only that, but each of those red monsters, those red witches, uh, were getting abilities and points. And or let's see, red spaces is moving minions, it looks like. So they had just like triple the opportunity to be moving minions around on the board. Uh, so that probably stacked pretty nice. It did. It did. I'm yeah, sure it did. It sure I wouldn't did. know because I was looking down at my board the whole time. Yeah. You were looking down at yours. Oh, no. Feelings. We, mm. We're not quite done yet. So that was a, a long digression from talking about these ghost tokens that you can buy at the end of the round. Uh, one of the other things you can buy instead are these cards down here that have monsters on them. And these are extra end game objectives like gain eight points if you have two ghosts in a neighborhood spot. Now, the path that leads to the party zone uh, has uh, spots in two categories. They're either neighborhoods or towns. So putting these ghost tokens in neighborhood spots, if you have this monster card here, can give you some good points. Here's a card here, though, that says gain two points for every adjacency created between blue and red dice in your spider jack area. So if you've got blue and red dice next to each other all over the place in your spider jack area, maybe pick this card up, give you a bunch of points. And then, of course, there's the one that you had that lets yeah. anybody in your finish line be put onto that card for five points per color of that die. So a bunch of different kinds of abilities. Yeah. That's the stuff you can buy in the market. Everyone gets a chance to buy one thing, whether it's a token or a card. And then that's the end of the round. You lather, rinse, and repeat for five more rounds until you've reached party time. And you add up your score to see who the, the biggest rager is. The points you get at the end of the game can come from, like I said, these monster cards, these uh, prophecy cards that you'll get at the start of the game. Everyone gets a secret prophecy card, and that describes an ideal layout of your spider jack area. So, for instance, my prophecy card said that uh, I wanted my columns in my spider jack area to be of the same color. I did okay. I got a, a blue I got a red and I got a yellow. And uh, with all of these, I think, maybe uh, let me look at them real quick. Yeah, it appears with all of them, the further left 
you are the fewer points they're worth. So again, I'm looking at mine, and if your leftmost column has all dice of the same color, great, so what? That's three points. But if you manage to get your rightmost column of the same color, then that's 18 points, and everything in between. So like, if you manage to somehow pull it off and get every column being the exact same color of itself, that's three plus four plus five plus eight plus 12 plus 18. Laura, what's the math on that? Great, good 50. answer. <laughs> Did you really just do this? Is that 50? Did, did you, you just add all of the columns up? Oh, yeah. Oh, because you did it. I did it. That's why <laughs> That's I know. You know. That's 50 points. If you manage to, to complete your entire prophecy, that's 50 points. You add up your prophecy, uh, and I, I think that's that's it. That's that's all the points you get, and whoever has the most is the spookiest. They have the most spook juice. Spook juice is the victory point. <laughs> I don't know if we've used that phrase yet. I don't think we have. But we just uncorked it. That's what they call the points here. So that's the game. That's the rules of the game. That's the mechanics of the game. It's a relatively straightforward, light, family, fair, dice drafting game. I know it says 14 up and on the box. I don't think so. You could probably play this with a a pretty smart eight-year-old. And you probably should. And you probably should, because this is a very simple game. Uh. Laura, can you believe this comes with a family mode? This is not the family mode. This oh, is the regular mode. I don't even know what the family mode is. Now, the family mode is you just roll dice and go yay. And that's about <laughs> it. I mean, the minis Oh, yeah. Are... Let, let's talk about our feelings in two parts. The game and the production. We, we can't sure. mix them because we have feelings about the production. <laughs> I mean, okay. Let's just say some of the highlights here because okay this is a game that is not without some highlights okay the minis are real cute they are i cute. like them yeah they're uh, you know I'm yeah they're the full mummy. of character uh, eight-year-olds would love them or 44 year olds <laughs> and also i happen to to really like the uh <sighs> the jalopies here they were such a pain to put together i i i uh, i have Built Warhammer models easier than these, but we did it. They're great. I mean, I had to do no work on these, so I can just appreciate <laughs> sure. the nice design. Uh, and the the car minis are just ridiculous. Like they're, they're, You could drop so one from a high enough building and kill someone with it. There's so much plastic there. I don't <laughs> and it's to... just to hold four dice yeah. that just get drafted in you know about 30 seconds as you prepare for your turn. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot of... Nice thought that went into the pieces with the exception of the spook juice marker tokens, which are too big for the track in which they sit. Yeah, they, they, they're they just they're they're way too large. They don't fit and they have a curved bottom. So you can't stand them upright on the spook juice track. They'll just fall right over. And the track only goes up to 99. I don't know why they thought people would only be getting 99 points in this game. Both Paul and I well <laughs> exceeded 100 points. Yeah, it, it, I don't understand. Uh, all of the minis appear to be too big for the board, for the spots that they want to be on. You want to put these minis in their starting spots. They, they don't fit. You got to turn them. You got to... You got to angle them a little bit. They all have to kind of have their backs to each other. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. If I had to guess, I would say that they had an idea and then they saw how much money it was going to cost 
but they already had the molds maybe for the minis and they were like, well, what can we make smaller? And they opened up Photoshop or whatever they used to make these boards and they clicked on the corner and they just dragged it in just a little bit and reduced the size of the player boards, I bet. That's my cynical guess about what happened because everything is crammed so tightly together on this, on this player board that you just knock stuff over all the time trying to move anything. And also... Oh, I knew you were going to talk about those. What what kind of cruel joke is this? These little monument stones on the track below the dice in the spider jack area, they're bottom heavy, so they fall over a lot, and they're pointed. So when you try to pick them up, they just whoop right out of your fingers. Whoop! And they fall over, and you don't remember where they were. It's, oh, it's, it's such a frustrating... It's almost like a psychological experiment, like uh, when a furniture designer designs a chair that is just purposefully uncomfortable to sit in. <laughs> and then the camera at the furniture showroom is like just on that chair just yeah. so that the furniture designer can appreciate his or her handiwork. Oh, I, I'm going to design a game that is so unpleasing to handle. It'll be devious. <laughs> Or something. That's what I. That's what I imagine goes on there at, at Final Frontier Games. Yeah, deluxe edition. A lot of a lot of noble goals. Very ambitious. Very poorly executed. These dice. These dice. The I look. They look silk screened to me. And you know that stuff's going to start coming off. And and since they are not really in common with each other, like the blue dice are not the same faces as the pink dice. You play this thing probably enough times, and those and those faces are probably going to start coming off. I I would I would assume so. <sighs> On the subject of these oh, dice, yeah, there are symbols everywhere in this game, and and they're not complicated. No, they're, it's the same symbols you see everywhere. So as you play it, you get very familiar with them. Yeah, you know exactly what's going on. But there's so many different symbols that you have to contend with on every turn so first (laughs) you move each of your monsters yeah most of your monsters are gonna land on a symbol and then you'll have to deal with that thing i'm gonna take a little aside here she's gotten quiet that means she's really probably really annoyed and upset (sighs) and it's just trying not to let the emotion come through and then each time you relocate one of your dice yeah to your spider jack area yeah you have to do all of the symbols on that die yeah. as well yeah and how do you like that that white ink on a yellow die how's that working for you it's not my favorite <laughs> yeah not the best choice no not the worst problem in yeah. this game no but just another choice yeah so then each of them you're doing usually three different symbols yeah and those symbols will do things like Move one of your folks again. And your folks are probably going to land on a symbol that's going to make you do something else. Yep. Maybe you'll move one of your monument tokens. Or maybe which, you'll knock it over if you're like me. It That does happen. <laughs> and it gets harder to pick up the more dice you have, the more you got to stick your fingers between this row of dice to grab it. Yeah. But the monuments tracks also have a bunch of symbols. So frequently when you're moving that, you're you're landing on something. Then there's a bunch of fussing with the dice. You know, maybe you're going to have to move one of your pumpkin dice or maybe you're going to move one of your pumpkin jack garden dice. <laughs> wait, wait, what? 
the one not these not the ones with the pumpkins but yeah. the other ones oh yeah those are called lord dice actually these dice that we've been referring to are called lord dice so that doesn't make any sense but that's fine yeah there's just a bunch of fussy fidgety back and forth between moving things and then contending with what I just landed on that happens between turns. Now, yeah. Paul is very good at this. Paul is much more efficient than I am, but I don't think I'm as slow as it gets either. <laughs> so that could really drag out for people. Let's get you in an eight-year-old to see who does it faster. Oh, boy. <laughs> and there's parts of it I like. Like sure. I like this, you know, moving the minions around so that you can uh, – set up a good jump for yourself. And I like that you can choose your dice in any order so that you can kind of anticipate having to contend with those symbols after you've maybe made a more advantageous play with the previous die. But in general, all of this back and forth <laughs> and ticky tacky, yeah. you oh, know, you this icon now, Oh, now you get to go to this over here. Yeah. We'll move this guy to the, oh, don't, Oh, did you knock him over? Oh, now you better hope you remember where he was. And there are some games that really we works in like i'm thinking about like trajan for Stephen example Feld games yeah we love them. but the thing is you don't end up with turns like that every turn you build up yeah. to that turn and yeah. then it feels so good when you get that turn and in this game almost every turn is like that so <laughs> yeah. it loses its appeal and it just becomes tedious yep uh the brits have a word for that maybe fiddly it's very fiddly yeah it's fiddly yeah it's a fiddly game there's some neat ideas here. I do like this moving down the path and you bonk each other on the head. I wish a better game used that mechanism. I like dice drafting. Uh, we've got friends who bring over sushi go roll or sushi roll, sushi roll. Uh, we like dice drafting sometimes, not in this game. Here's something that I felt. If you had known more about what prophecy cards were in the deck, I could have intentionally thwarted you. You would have easily been able to look and see, oh, Paul's making colored columns. Okay, but I'm looking over at yours. I have no idea what you're doing. Which is lucky for you. Lucky for me. But Yours in, is way more obvious than mine is. In a future game, you could look over at mine and see I'm doing colored columns and just start drafting dice that, that I need, even though you don't. Yep. I'm not a big fan of that, but in a game like Sushi Roll, you it's much easier to tell what people are going for uh, because the dice are a little easier to read from farther away. The combinations are not quite as complex. And everybody has the same objectives. Yes, everyone has the same goals. So I think we have spoken about this now for way longer than I probably should have. Because sometimes it's as fun to talk about games that we really don't like as it is to talk about the games that we love. Yeah. I'm going to put in two more things that I didn't like about this. Oh, yes, I'm oh, doing it. Bonus, mm -hmm. extra credit. Yep. <laughs> so the Malice track that gives you the points to buy cards yeah. is super easy to max out or at least get yeah. high enough that you can choose anything you want anytime you go to the market. Yeah. That's not fun. Yep. All of our spider jack dice were up. I think I was at six and six and five. You were at six and six and yep. six. In fact, I continued to get the spider jack icons later on in the game and it just does yeah, at help. least that's one <laughs> less thing to fiddle with, I suppose. Yeah, uh, and and it's super easy to get malice. Like, why did this the track stop at eight, or why are things so cheap in in relation? I don't know. That was thing one. Was there thing two? Those were two things: oh, malice track and the dice. Gotcha. The jack dice. I think I think that's it. I think we're I think we're just gonna pack this thing up. We're gonna put it into a fear mobile, and I think we're just gonna shove it off a cliff. Oh, <laughs> is that too mean? I was gonna say. Okay, I'm gonna start that over again. Then pack this up, put it in the trunk of a Fearmobile, 
And send it off to an eight-year-old to draft. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe leave it in a graveyard. And hopefully the curse will pass on to someone else. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I, I think I'm excited about your birthday. <laughs> that makes one of us. Well, Laura, I've got bad news. Oh, no. Yep. The emperor is dead. Oh! <gasps> No. Yes. We have an emperor? No. He's dead. Oh, oh. Try to keep up here, okay? <laughs> but the good news is, at mm. least the good news was for the emperor, that the emperor had six kids, which oh. means, you know, he, uh, <laughs> at least uh, six times, right? Which is, which is more than-, than So many times. Which is more than some of us can-, uh, can Okay, can, now. <laughs> uh, yes, the emperor, six kids- and uh, now they are, you know, to the shock of nobody, fighting over who will claim the throne. Now, there are four factions that these six kids are all throwing their lot in with in various combinations. And it is our job to ensure that the chosen emperor's kid that we are best pals with rises to the throne. Because if they're able to rise to the throne, they'll remember who got him there. And then we'll get like free milkshakes for life. What do you think of that deal? I just have a question. Sure. These are all his kids? Yeah. Is that what it says in the rule book? Yeah. That's what it says right here. It doesn't say that they're just vying for the throne. It says they're his children. Yeah. It says uh, mm. all hope rests on the six children of the emperor. Who will claim the throne? Well, it sounds to me like maybe one or two of these is is like old enough to be a you know hello fellow emperor's kids yeah there's quite an age range so <laughs> i would say we're we're going from probably like mm, 10 okay to oh goodness 50 <laughs> wow that was a virile emperor indeed Woof. here we are hidden leaders hidden leaders by bff games a kickstarter project that was recently delivered to us it is a, a hidden role game where you are assigned one of six leaders that are hidden. And uh, these leaders are affiliated with two of the four factions in the game. And your job is to make sure one of those factions wins. And at the end of the game, when that faction has been declared the winner, you reveal your hidden leader. And hopefully you're the only one with a leader that is aligned with that faction. If so, you win the game. If not, you follow the tiebreaker flowchart which admittedly does not sound as exciting. So it's unlikely that you will be the only one yeah. affiliated with that. So get used to that tiebreaker flowchart. Yeah. We'll cover that in a bit. So each hidden leader child or fully grown adult <laughs> who's also a child. Possibly the same age as the emperor. Yep. Has two affiliations. There are four affiliations. So... There's a lot of overlap between the different cards. Yeah. No two of the cards has the same two affiliations. Right. They did some, clearly did some kind of permutation there. The only possible way that there would be no overlap is if you're playing with just one other person and you both have the opposite two. Yeah. Which, uh, what, three players and, and, oh, one other person. Yeah. And you both have the opposite two. That's right. Now, you might get lucky and have one of your affiliations overlap with another player and your other one not overlap with another player. That's and true. then that wins. 
but it's less likely to win based yep. on the rules yep. and the gameplay that we are about to lay out for you. First, uh, let's see what's in the box. What do we get in the box? Well, how many cards are there? A lot. That's what it's, it says in the rule book. It's a big stack. Yeah, it's a big stack of cards. Yep. And it 77 is, hero great. cards. It felt like a bigger than a magic deck. So, yeah. yep. So you've got the six hidden leaders and then the 77 other cards, which are apparently not evenly divided amongst the four factions, given that there are 77 of them. Yeah, that's that's probably true. Each card will have a faction, one of the colors. Yep. Very nicely background colored, so it's very quick and easy to see who the affiliation is with. And a name of a character, which is always an adjective and then... A noun. Most of the time, it's an alliteration, too, like the nightmarish Northman, the drowned deserter, the goblin cryptographer. Okay, not that one. Ghastly granny over here. Yep, the shaky sharpshooter. Friendly frog mage. Yeah, all kinds of of interesting little little names for these heroes, Uh, and every single one of them is uh, uniquely illustrated, 77 different illustrations. Yeah, bravo. Yeah. Good work. Then there's an ability at the bottom of every card. Pretty straightforward stuff. Yep. And then you also have the board. The board is a long, slender board. Very colorful. Starts with the water on one side and the number one. One. (laughs) That is the number one. Uh Uh-huh. And then there are... Twelve. Slots that... Proceed over to the right-hand side of the board, which is dark black on that side with a kind of green and red region in the middle. Yeah, 12 slots. Yeah. And two wooden tokens that will be moving back and forth along this 12-slotted track. Yep. And around the border, you've got up at the top of the board is the wilderness where your discards go. On the left side is the harbor, which is where the draw deck is. Down at the bottom, you got three spots for the tavern, which will have some face-up cards that you'll be able to draw from when it's time to put cards back into your hand. And on the right side is the graveyard, which is kind of this other discard pile that you'll be able to dig through. And it starts pre-populated with the dead emperor right here, the buried emperor. And the buried emperor card represents... Uh, all four factions. You can have this this emperor card represent any of the four factions you want when it comes time to count that kind of stuff up. You know, it's funny that when we played, I didn't really register that that was the dead emperor because there are card <laughs> abilities that let yeah. you dig through the graveyard and yep. retrieve a card from there. And it seems to me if you're able to do that and you retrieve the buried emperor to yeah. recruit to your side to then play... Don't you kind of just win? I mean, behold, the are, emperor's desiccated corpse. Right, you're like clearly I should lead the tribes now. Put that your ear up to his withered lips. He's on my side. I trained the hill tribes. Yep, that totally sounds like him. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So there you go. That's the that's what comes in the box. Yeah. So uh, how do we play this game? We'll I'll tell you right now. Uh, everyone starts with a hand of cards, and on your turn, you either uh, play a card or uh, discard all your cards and draw up to a full hand and call it good. But most of the time, you're going to play a card and you're going to do what it says. It can be something as simple as move the red token up a spot. Or maybe move the green token back a spot. 
that's it. It could be something like that, or it could be something way more involved, like uh, uh, move the red marker up two spots and or the green marker up two spots. Bury one of your previously played heroes and a previously played hero of another player. It could be all kinds of stuff. I'm not going to dig all through this deck and just bore you with all the abilities. But the idea is that you're manipulating these tokens on this board and any other abilities that the designers saw fit to include, uh, like uh, the previously mentioned burying of cards or the retrieval of cards from the graveyard or drawing extra cards or whatever. You play your hero, you do the thing it says, then you draw back up to four from either the draw deck or the tavern, the face-up tavern spots. Now you got four cards in your hand. Then you discard down to three, and that's it. That's your turn. Turn's over. Easy. You just kind of go around the table doing that over and over again until one player has a total number of face-up heroes equal to whatever the target value is for the number of players you have. Uh, if I recall, in like a two or three, in a three-player game, it was like six heroes, I think. That sounds right. Yeah. Uh, and that's it. Then as soon as someone plays their sixth in this example, their sixth face-up hero, boom, game's over. Then we look at the state of the board to see which of the four factions uh, has won the day. And then uh, everyone reveals their hidden leader. And if there's only one person whose hidden leader is affiliated with that winning faction, they have won. Otherwise, there's ways to resolve ties based around uh, you know, who has played the most hero from that winning faction or who has played the fewest total heroes or that kind of thing. Yeah, so the determining factor for which faction wins is yeah. based on the position ultimately of the two wooden tokens, the green and the red one, yep. that are on that 12-slotted track. You may be thinking, but why are there only two tokens? There are four factions. Uh-huh. Ah. So... If at the end of the game, both of the tokens are in the last four slots, 9, 10, 11, and 12, that is the undead zone. It is Ooh. very spooky and by the graveyard. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so if both the tokens are there, the undead will be the winning faction. Yep. If both the tokens are not there, then you have to look at their position relative to each other. Yeah. So for example, if they are within one space of each other or on the same space then the water faction will win. Sploosh, splash, sploosh. Mm -hmm. If the <laughs> green token is two or more spaces ahead of the red token, then the green faction will win. And boom, the, boom, 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 <laughs> boom. The reverse is true if the red is two or more spaces in front. So That's the Imperial Army. Yeah, so there you go. Yeah. And as Paul mentioned, the majority of the cards that you'll be playing have some effect on the movement of these wooden tokens. Typically the water faction cards will have some kind of do this or that because yeah. you, that way you can use it to adjust one or the other, depending on who might be in the position that you don't want. Yep. Uh, likewise, the, the green faction will have cards that more favor advancing the green or setting back the red. And yep. the reverse is true for the red ones. And then the undead cards they mostly mess with everybody. Yeah. Just kind of mess with everything, but also just march everybody down to the end of the board. Yeah. Most of them do that. Uh, ones that maybe move tokens back away from the undead zone will typically have a, uh, some other way of messing with people. Yeah, so that's that's the game. Yeah, pretty straightforward. Uh, moving these tokens around and hoping that by the time the hammer drops, 
the faction that you want to have won has won. Yeah, and it goes pretty fast, as you might guess, yeah. because the in a three-person game, the sixth card that is revealed, played in front of you, is the end. That's it. No one gets any other further chance to play. That that person who revealed that six gets to take their turn, and that's it. Game's over. Right, which also means that there's a slight first player advantage if the second and third players don't yeah. do something to kind of disrupt that, either by using a card's ability that removes a yeah. card from that player or reveals a hidden card uh, since the hidden cards don't count against you as far as the timer for the end of the game. Yeah, hidden cards, that's that's a, one of these abilities as well. Maybe a card will tell you to play a hidden hero as well. You put that hero face down. They don't ever actually do anything except at the end of the game, the hidden heroes are turned up in case you need to use them to resolve ties. That That's it. That's the game. Playing cards, moving tokens, hoping your faction's the winner. We played it three or four times with three players. And, you know, it's all right. It's, it's a fine game. It's okay. It's a fine game. Yeah. There's some guesswork. There's a little bit of deduction. Unfortunately, the deduction is pretty obvious. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty easy to tell. Oh, all he wants to do is just move those tokens up into the undead zone. <laughs> I guess I know. Guess I know he's trying to make win. Yeah, and that on top of which is typically indicated based on the player's face-up cards. Yeah, because whoa, that's a lot of red you got in front of you. Yeah, you're you're probably trying <laughs> to hedge your bets there that if red wins, yeah, and you and I are both pushing for red, that you're gonna have more red cards. Yeah, so it is fairly obvious what people are going toward on the upside that means that you can see which of your alignments is more likely to be the winning one based on what other people are doing and finding out where the overlap is and just kind of doubling down on that but then seriously tipping your hand and just amassing that color card only in front of you so (laughs) i i think the main issue here is that this is supposed to be a distillation of games like A War of Whispers or Veiled Fate, where we are keeping it close to the vest of who we really want to win, like what hero we want to win the day or what what faction we want to come out on top, and then we all reveal. There's just not enough time to set any kind of grand uh, deception strategy at play here. You, You get, at most, I would say, six to eight turns to do something and that's Mm -hmm. it and there's no room for deception here it's just play cards and hope that everything works out for you i don't know there's just not a whole lot of game there it felt like to us yeah it's just very light fair yeah very light fair and we've got plenty of light games if you're looking for some kind of deduction we have plenty of of uh, social deduction games that can be played in less time if you're looking for I don't know, a game where, where you are more or less investing and trying to make one faction do better than the others. There's there's better games for that. There's a tug-of-war game. It feels like a multiplayer version of like Watergate or a multiplayer version of Royal Visit where you're just moving a token back and forth, you know, pushing and pulling and that kind of thing. And I don't know. We, we played it like three or four times in a row. Mm-hmm. Bam, bam, bam. And when we were done, we were like, meh. And if there's one thing that our collection does not have any room for. It's meh. It's meh. 
Yeah, we, we do not need meh. It did pass the Anne art test, which oh. we should note. She liked the art. That's true. Art really goes a long way for a lot of people. It doesn't bother me as much if a game has weird art, uh, and I don't really fault a game for not having art that I like. Anne certainly does. If Anne doesn't <laughs> like that art, it's, you, you're good luck even finishing the game, let alone you know having her enjoy it at all. Um, with that, I think I think hidden leaders. I think maybe it's time for one of these these leaders to go. Maybe go find another kingdom. Why go you, hide elsewhere. Go hide elsewhere. Why do you have to rule this kingdom? Like you let your let your fifty year old brother <laughs> rule the kingdom, uh, while you go in search of brave new lands uh, to go maybe go rule and set up camp somewhere else. Laura, you uh, you been feeling a little stressed lately? I know I have. Well, things have been, I don't know. I've just been, I've just been like, kind of tense, kind of stressed out, like itchy, itchy all over. It's not just allergies. Could it be the fact that we don't have the AC on in the house right now, and literally we are all covered <laughs> in a fine layer of our own sweat? It could be mixed with dead skin cells. It could be. Can't turn that on yet. Not while we're uh, recording. Too loud. Not while we're putting down this fine content. These sweet beats. Yeah. No, no beats. No beats here. Just, just content. <laughs> no, Laura, I think I have just the thing for us. Mm-hmm. I want you to close your eyes. I'm really closing my eyes. I want you to close your eyes. Mm-hmm. And I want you to, I want you to relax. I want you to sink into your chair. Mm. I want you to feel all the molecules in your body drifting apart. I want you to feel like you're evaporating into the sky and rising higher and higher and forming into a cloud. I want you to put everything stressful out of your mind. Mm -hmm. Put all the bad stuff. Skyrocketing inflation. uh, the, The global pandemic that is two and a half years and going. The constant erosion of our civil liberties. I want you to just put all of that bad stuff, don't think about it, mm-hmm. and just be a cloud. And all you want to do is just rain. Just rain on somebody. That's just find somebody on the earth and just rain on them. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a little atypical therapy sesh here yeah. for, for the podcast. Extreme measures for extreme circumstances, I think. <laughs> and what I've just described to you is the goal of Petricor. Published by Mighty Boards and Ape. I see the word Ape on there. A-P-E. You do, yes. I don't know what Ape is. What is it? What is Ape? Advanced Primate Entertainment. There you go. For the smart chimps in the room. <laughs> Advanced Primate Entertainment. Yeah, chimps. The- you know what? You know that one That one person's going to write us in and be like, chimps aren't primates or something. Well, the, there's a picture of what appears to be a gorilla. Oh. Wearing a monocle gorillas, and a fedora. I, I think gorillas and chimps aren't even the same thing. I don't know. This has been Monkey Corner. <laughs> Petra Corner. Petra Corner. Yeah. Where you do get to be a cloud, and you don't really rain on people. No. But you do rain on plants. You rain on potatoes. Mm-hmm. You rain on cotton. Wheat. Yep. Uh, Grass. Volcanoes. Mm. Yeah. In the expansion. Oh, we never got to the expansion. Venus flytrap. 
they're there. All that expansion content is waiting, waiting to be uncovered. Well, we have dipped into some of the more advanced plants. Why don't I give my once over of what's in the box? Yeah, we'll just keep it calm. We're clouds here. We'll keep it mellow. This is a calm review. It is. For a calm, pleasing game. Yeah. (laughs) Petrichor. Petrichor. So, first impression. Yeah. I think one has to mention the components. Which are the ones we have that are in the collector's edition. This is Petrichor Collector's Edition. What a beaut, yeah. folks. This cloud that I'm now holding, which is the really the centerpiece of the game because yeah. you're, these are your pieces, essentially, that you're moving around the board. You're filling them with your raindrops. You're maybe merging clouds with other people's clouds and combining your different colored raindrops. But they're like little cocktail cups <laughs> that... yeah. yeah. Are shaped like clouds, like a like a hollow half of a cloud cup yep. that you can put things in, and it's on a stand, so it floats above the different terrains that it's going to be raining on. With the greatest of ease. It's delightful. Yeah. And then you have the... And I have to give credit where credit is due here. It was actually our dear friend Rob who pointed out <laughs> that these really are like little cocktail cups. Yep. And the lightning bolts that attach onto them... Let me reach here. Do it. Mm-hmm. Actually slip perfectly onto the little cloud cup, much like you would slip a um, a garnish yeah. on your martini. Like three rim. olives into your martini. Yeah, it's really nice. Very, very visually appealing. Yeah. And then your raindrops as well are, I mean, these look like, like little glass... Translucent glass um, beads. Beads, sure. Yeah. Yep. It's just a very nice little set of things that you get. You also have your your wooden matching colored uh, discs for for a voting element that Paul will describe, and all of your personal raindrops and wooden bits come in a water drop shape <laughs> plastic yeah. two compartment. A tray. Holds everything. Game Trays does it again. Yeah, big shout out. Yeah. Really just nice packaging. I'm not into unboxing as a thing, <laughs> yeah. but but seriously, unpacking Petrichor yeah. is a pleasure. Yeah. And then you have the uh, the tiles, the plant tiles, which are like nice botanical drawings. One of the nice things about the game is uh, you'll lay them out in a different orientation each time you play. So there's variability there. But there are, I don't know, several different different plant types. Oh, and yeah. We've got here, we've got uh, Gossipium. We've got Solanum tuberosum. We have Zea mace. Triticum astivum. So these are obviously... Who doesn't uh, love them? Some Triticum astivum. <laughs> Not their nicknames, cotton and... and <laughs> corn yeah. that you would typically use but they're they're lovely drawings i guess you can educate yourself on their latin names while you play so it's educational there you go here's the weird thing rule book calls them by their names like potato or corn but on mm. the tiles they have those latin names which can get confusing a little bit the pictures kind of tell it all except for coffee which is quite clearly labeled as coffea <laughs> <laughs> so that's your board it's going to be a random assortment of tiles that you lay out based on the number of players. Mm-hmm. And they're sizable tiles, too. They're yep. like maybe three and a half inches by three and a half inches or something like that. Yep. Good, sturdy cardboard. Yep. And that brings us to the score track board, which 
I'm just going to say I think is one of the weak spots in the overall aesthetic and presentation of the game. Why? Because this board depicts four different weather conditions that you'll be playing with in the game. Paul will tell you about that. You've got sunshine, you've got wind, you've got thunderstorms, and you've got frost. Yep. Uh, And each of these weather conditions is represented by a quadrant of the board. The scoring track goes around the perimeter of these weather conditions in a circle. So in the sunshine part of the board, the numbers are a little bit washed out because of the kind of sunny glow on that side of the board. It's a beautiful day in Petrichor town. Mm -hmm. The frost quadrant has this little crackle effect going through it, like a light icy haze. It's a chilly day in Petrichor town. Mm -hmm. The thunderstorm part of the board Looks like somebody put their <laughs> coffee <mug>. wet <laughs> coffee mug on it, and yeah. it just kind of warped the board a little bit oh, and made a. There's just this instinctual part line. of me, this this primal part of me that's like, oh no, who ruined my board? Yeah, it's bad. And yeah. then I think the wind part is equally bad. It looks yeah. dirty. Yeah. There's like a scattering of leaves, I guess. Yeah, that are I'm kind constantly of like wanting to brush it off, and yeah. it, it's not coming off. And no matter how hard I scrub, it'll never be clean. So that part, I think uh, they kind of missed the mark. Therapy. We're in therapy. Here. That's okay. Yeah. Right. I, I am a cloud. Yes. Uh, but <laughs> then you have your cards. That's really how you're going to take your actions on each turn. Very simple. Four different types of cards. One for each weather condition. Very nice art on them. Consistent across the weather conditions. So a sunshine card is a sunshine card is a sunshine card, etc. That's tough to say. Not as bad as Yerg's excursions. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. And that's what comes in the box. Paul, why don't you... Tell them how it's played. So, uh, yeah, you're a cloud. Be peaceful, floating around. And your goal is to soak the countryside and water these plants real good and get them to, to sprout so that when it's time to harvest, you get points for being the one who watered them the most. I'm pretty sure that's how gardening works. Uh, you just soak it for three weeks at a time. And uh, the more water you dump on that apple tree, the more delicious those uh, Fuji's turn out. Isn't that right? You're the resident green thumb here mm-hmm. in this Nailed house. Nailed it. Yeah. Every round plays the same. Based on the number of players, you're going to get a hand of cards. And when it's your turn, you take one of those cards and you play it. Now, there's four types of cards, like Laura said. There's uh, frost, sun, wind, and rain. The frost card allows you to create a cloud, put a raindrop of yours in it, put that cloud anywhere on the board where there isn't already a cloud. That's how you're going to get clouds onto the board. I don't think there's any other way to do that, at least not in the base game. Just the start. Yep. The sun action, which you can do if you play a sun card, lets you pick a cloud where you already have a raindrop in and add two more raindrops to it. Now, if a cloud ever hits four or more raindrops, then it suddenly becomes a thundercloud. Boom. Put one of these little yellow plastic lightning bolts on there, and now it could potentially... Uh, rain at some point in the future but not yet we're not there yet other ways that you can turn a cloud into a thundercloud is if you crash two clouds into each other which you do by playing the wind card you play a wind card pick a cloud where you have a raindrop in and you just move it one space and if that crashes into another cloud then now you've got yourself a thundercloud 
doesn't matter how many raindrops are in it. You know, two clouds with one drop in it together. Now it's a thundercloud, but with two drops. So you're telling me that you'd merge clouds and then you'd have different people's raindrops of different colors all in the same cloud? Yeah, you take this cloud, that cloud, and you go, now, now kiss. kiss. And now, boom. Does that get... make it like a mixed drink? <laughs> yes. Yes. Shaken with the shaken, stirred? No. Thundered, maybe. <laughs> the fourth card you can play is a rain card. And that lets you pick two clouds where you have at least one raindrop in, and you can just drop one drop of anybody's from those two clouds. So, but Paul, you just mentioned that you could make clouds that have multiple people's raindrops in them. Does that mean that I could rain a drop that's not my own from a cloud where I am? Yes, you'd probably want to do that if you were, say, wanting to move that cloud somewhere else. Mm. Uh, So you drop someone's raindrop, and then next turn, get that cloud, move it over to another space. Maybe if you because you want to eventually dump that cloud onto that space. We'll tell you how to do that in a little bit. Now, here's the thing. After you take your action, you then have to do a vote. And a vote is where you, the player, get to decide what weather effect is going to happen at the end of the round. The weather icons are in a circle. You got your frost, your sun, your wind, and your rain. So if I play a sun card, I do my sun action, and then I can put my voting marker either on the sun or I can put it on the thing after the sun, which is the wind. Or the third option I have is to decrease one of the three harvest dice. We haven't mentioned the harvest dice yet. There are three harvest dice, and they have varying numbers of pips on them, but one of the sides they have is also this wheat stock. You roll those dice at the start of the game, put them in the center of the board, and when it's time to vote, if you don't want to vote, you can just pick one of those three dice and drop them down by one. So if it's showing three pips, drop it down to two. Get yourself a point. So maybe you don't want to commit to one of the weather options yet, or you just want to get that free point. If you decrease one of those harvest dice down to the wheat stock, that die cannot be moved anymore, and you get two points, one for dropping it down and one for the fact that you turned it into the wheat stock. Once all three of the dice are showing wheat stocks, then at the end of this round, there'll be a harvest phase. We'll get to that, but still we got to get through the round. Now, You've taken your action, you've done your vote, or maybe you've decreased the die. Now you got a choice to make. Are you done with your turn? Or do you want to take a second action right now? Ooh, how would you do that? You can play two cards of the same type, and you get to take that action right now, as if it were just a standard action. So if I played a sun action, I did my thing, I voted, Now I want to take another action. I could play, say, two frost cards in order to take a frost action now. You uh, astute listeners might say, well, Paul, burning two cards just to do one action means that you'll probably get one fewer turn than everybody else. That's true. Maybe it's worth it sometimes. Maybe it's not. But after that second action, you then get another vote. You could drop a die down or vote on the weather just like you did that first time. Now your turn's over. You don't get an optional third action. Now, here's the cool part. For any of these actions that you take, you can just turn in two cards and have them count as one of a different type. So if you get a hand of cards that doesn't have any, let's say, frost, frost, so you can't put any clouds on the board, and maybe at the end of last round, you're no longer in any clouds. You're like, what can I do? Well, 
you can turn in two cards as a frost yep. or two cards as anything that you're trying to do that you don't have the card for. You can even do that when it's time for your optional second action. If you really, really want that second action to be a frost and all you have are a couple of winds and a sun and a rain, you could turn in all four of those cards and now you've technically created two frost cards that you can use to take that action. Don't ever do that. But it's so inefficient. <laughs> I really want to. <laughs> Don't do that. There's got to be something else you can do. So you've taken your turn. You've done your voting. And now everyone has gone around the table doing that stuff. As soon as the first person passes, they're going to get that first player marker. And then everyone else is going to get one more turn. And they don't get to take that optional second turn. Then, once we've gone around that table for the final time, it's time to resolve these weather effects. Everyone has been voting on these weather effects this whole time. And now we resolve the two that have gotten the most votes. And we resolve them in a, in a specific order. There's an arrow on the center board. And so you will resolve them in the order of frost, sun, wind, rain. So if, for example, sun and rain got the most votes, then you'll resolve sun first, then you'll come around to rain. And what are these four weather effects, you might be asking? If everyone voted for a frost weather effect, then all clouds become thunderclouds, just like that, no matter how many raindrops they have in them. If everyone voted for a sun effect, then in turn order, everyone will choose a cloud that they have a raindrop in at least, and they'll be able to double their presence in that cloud. So if you got two, now you got four. And like we said, as soon as a cloud has four or more raindrops, it turns into a thundercloud. So if you've got three in there and you, and you double that presence, now you've turned it into a, a, a heavy thundercloud. Pretty, pretty, pretty soaked. Uh, if the wind effect got enough of a vote, then in reverse turn order, everyone gets to pick one square and move one raindrop that might be on it in any direction, up, down, left, or right. Doesn't matter whose raindrop. Uh, and they don't even have to have presence there. You just pick a spot, move a raindrop. So there can be a little bit of a, oh, really? You push my raindrop? Well, now I'm going to push yours. But it can be a great way to just push something over the edge, to push something under the edge, maybe, if you don't want a tile to get scored yet. And then the rain weather effect is all thunderclouds rain. So anything that has turned into a thundercloud by the time this rain weather effect comes around, if people voted for it, dumps out. Yep. They literally, you just take that cloud and maybe in a controlled fashion, don't do it from like five feet above the board, but you just, you literally make it rain and you just turn it over and those drops <laughs> come right out, uh, right onto there. Now, why is that important? Because as soon as enough rain has landed on one of these tiles, one of these crop tiles, then that crop tile could sprout. I'm looking at some of these right now, for example. If cotton ever gets two raindrops put on it, it sprouts. If wheat ever gets three raindrops on it, it sprouts. If corn ever gets five raindrops on it, it sprouts. Sprouting is good because if there's a harvest at the end of this round, that's when points are gonna get handed out for all plants that have sprouted. And that's the primary way that you're gonna get points. Yeah, this is an area control game. You want to put raindrops in clouds. You want to move clouds around. You want those clouds to dump their water onto these plants. And you want to be, most of the time, you want to be the person with the most raindrops on those plants. Yeah, with a couple of fun exceptions, but yeah. yes. I'm looking at a boring one right now. This is just straight up grass. It requires two raindrops total on it to sprout. And then when the harvest phase comes around, 
Uh, the person with the most raindrops on it will get four points, second place will get three, and then down to two and down to one. Uh, I'm gonna look at uh, I'm gonna look at the corn right now. It requires five raindrops in order to sprout, but uh, anyone who has at least one raindrop on it will get a certain number of points based on the number of players in the game. Like in a four-player game, anyone with at least one raindrop on it will get themselves three points. There are a couple of fun ones in here, like wheat. It requires three raindrops total to sprout, and the person with the most raindrops on it will get themselves two points and a wheat token, and then everybody else gets three points uh, if they have you know a raindrop on it. Uh, the wheat tokens are fun because if you collect enough of them and have the most of them at the end of the game, you get eight points. Uh, we have any other interesting ones in here we want to talk Coffee. about? Coffee. Coffee's a fun one. Coffee requires four total raindrops, and then it enters like a stage one sprout. And if a harvest happens when it's at a stage one sprout, you got your standard handing out of points. Five points for first place, three points for second place, two and one. But if it grows into a stage one sprout and a sun weather effect happens before this thing gets harvested, it turns into a stage two, which awards way more points for first, not as many more points for second, same amount of points for, for third and fourth. That's a pretty neat one too. And there's a variety of other interesting ones too and apparently expansions that we haven't even dipped into yet no all kinds of different plants and stuff that have all kinds of behaviors that that i i can't even comprehend from looking at them on the other side of the table here <laughs> so if there is a harvest yeah then all of the raindrops that were involved in any point giving for a harvested plant will then go back to their player's supply. Yeah. And raindrops on plants that didn't sprout will remain until the next round. Yep. They'll just constantly build up until sprout, and then they'll stay there until harvested. Now, if raindrops get moved away, you can unsprout. But most of the time, plants that sprout will stay sprouted. So we've got, we've got playing actions. We've got voting on weather effects. And uh, we've got harvest. And the final thing I need to mention is that once those weather effects are done, Whoever contributed the most votes to each of those two weather effects will get a little endgame point bonus boost. They kind of move up on this track. Hey, you were the vote winner for a weather effect. Boop. One spot up the track. Oh, you did it again. Boop. And by the end of the game, you get yourself a good amount of points for like being the thought leader, for being the tastemaker. <laughs> Having your finger on the pulse of the weather, weather. events that yeah. everybody wants. <laughs> Uh, you do that over and over and over again for four or six rounds, depending on if you're playing the short or the long game. And then uh, finally, once the final round has played out, there is going to be a final harvest. And then the person who has the most wheat tokens will get themselves eight points. And then uh, everyone gets points based on that track, that secondary track we were talking about, the, the, voting, the voting majority track. <laughs> I don't even remember what they call it. But uh, then at that point, whoever has the most points is the biggest cloud. And that's Petrichor. There are a whole bunch of expansions. There's some promo cards. There's bees, honeybees. There's cows. All kinds of stuff that we haven't even touched. Uh, this is just the base game right here. And what do we think about the base game? Let's, let's rise up out of this hypnotic trance that I've induced in everybody while explaining <laughs> the rules to this board game. True. And uh, and let's talk about how this game makes us feel. Well, uh oh, stormy weather. 
No, 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 no storm. <laughs> no stormy weather. This game makes me feel okay. Yeah. It's really nice to look at. So I have enjoyed pulling it out the couple of times that we've introduced it to friends. It passed the and test. It did pass the and test. She liked it. Very aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. Definitely. But I just don't feel like it's substantial enough as an area control game, which is ultimately what it is. There's a novelty to it, which I definitely appreciate, and an aesthetic that is very appealing. But for me, it's not enough to keep it. And that's hard for me to say because it is extremely attractive (laughs) but you know that's why you're with me isn't it (laughs) i'm hard to keep around but for (sighs) my extreme attractiveness sometimes you gotta let the attractive ones go like (laughs) they're just not right for you they just don't have the substance that you're looking for you know well so speaking of substance and speaking of you know its qualities as a game i think the problem that i ran into and maybe a couple of the people who played it with us ran into is that your turn is dictated by those cards you draw And if you don't get the right cards, you don't get to do anything. I think there is more than one occasion near the end of the game when poor Rob got his hand of cards and was like, oh, nary a frost to be found and I have nothing on the board. What am I supposed to do? I guess I burn a turn to do a thing that everybody else gets to do just because they got a frost card. So one of the things that we didn't really experiment with and might be worth giving a try Uh, is if you find yourself with just a crappy hand like that, you should just burn through them as fast as possible. Do do two inefficient turns in a row. That's true. And with two moves, and that will force everybody else to take the penalty with you because they, they won't be able to play all of their cards. So that might be one way to do it. But as it has been, the way that we've played it all the time is maybe one person might take a stab out there and do a double action turn or a two cards off suit turn to burn through a couple of their cards faster, but only to the extent that maybe it sets them back by one move and everybody else will still get to play their last card if they still have one left. So if you're going to do it to force everybody's hand, pun intended, then you need to be really aggressive about it because everyone will get one last play after you have to pass. Now, that might make strategic sense. I am not a a game strategist enough to know if if that actually would play out or how that would play out. Right, but would it be fun to only take two turns in a round? Absolutely not. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? You're like, well, I know what I must do. And guess what? I've now shortened the game for everybody. I'm now the, the fun breaker and, you know, everyone else gets an abbreviated round because of me. And I don't know if that's fun. Maybe, I don't know if that's a strategy or not, but it certainly doesn't sound like a fun game to play when that happens. Yeah. So uh, we just kind of felt, uh, we felt like the game was playing us just a little bit sometimes. You, you know, here's your, here's your you know, four or five player game. Here's your six cards. And, you know, you better hope you have the ability to do the things you want to do. Otherwise, you know, you're literally at the mercy of the winds. And I think that kind of just left a bad taste in our mouths, I think. And it made us not want to bother exploring the honeybee or the cows or any of the promo tiles because the core of the game is here's your cards and you better hope you get something that lets you do something interesting. Yeah. And then also a big reason why I think that 
we have to pass on this is it doesn't play very well at two players. No, not at all. And, you know, you could say that about just about any area control game. Uh, I think area control games are at their best at, you know, three or more players. And we have a few of those already, not the least of which is the granddaddy of all area control games, El Grande, big box sitting right up there, untouched for way too long. How did you not say El Grande Daddy? Oh, because I'm an idiot. That's how. (laughs) Let's try that again. The El Grande Daddy of area control games, El Grande. I see what you did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's up there on our shelf, uh, untouched for far too long. And really, if you're going to play an area control game with three or more people, I think you've got better choices that allow for more player agency than this game. You know, again, a good effort. You guys knocked it out of the park presentation-wise, and that's what sold me on it, and I'm not disappointed in that. Um, but I think this game is a little wispy. I think it's mm-hmm. a little thin. I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A little, like, what, serious? Yeah, if we could be serious for a moment. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Here we are, 35 minutes into this, and oh, it's the goodness. first time I used that. What the heck? I ah. Oh. I'm going to go launch myself off a cliff. Welcome back, dear listener. No, I'm not going to say that. No, welcome back. There's no welcome back. Nah. No. So we've come to the end of this journey. Yeah. Our Kickstarter journey. Volume two. There's probably going to be a volume three. Oh, and also a volume four. Yeah. But this one yeah. was a cleanse, was it not? Yeah. These, I, this is the first time, I think, where we have said pass on all of the games that we've reviewed. And I think our shelf is better for it. There were a couple of tough ones in there. There were, you know, it was rough. There definitely were. However, I think that the fact that already since we've played these through and talked about them two of them have moved on to better yeah. happier homes yep makes me feel great about it yeah can't can't be upset about that it seems like a, a good sign for the future and by that i mean a good chance for us to get some of this money back that we put into games that uh, were they presented to me now in the year 2022 i probably probably would not back but you never know right we've had some surprises in too deep that was a kickstarter we liked that True. a lot a couple other Kickstarters that I don't want to mention that we liked a lot. Because we haven't talked about them we yet. We haven't talked about them yet. Yeah. And we have to give the dear listener something to listen to. The thing I'm most excited about is I think we're down to just one stack of games that yeah. is on the floor. There, No, there's nothing on the floor anymore. Mm, oh, well, on the chair. Oh, on the, on the chair. <laughs> I'm losing track of where we have all the stuff stacked. <laughs> there's only one modest stack of things that are not in shelves right now. Yeah. Which th- is I progress. That's progress. I'm feeling really good about it. I really am, actually. This this podcast has has really helped curate our collection. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's helped us really drill down into the things we do and we don't like about games. And it's also helped our marriage. Is that part true? <laughs> well, we can talk to our therapist about that. <laughs> now, Laura, given the success, the rousing success... Of our of our giveaway, mm-hmm. the 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 flood of emails and and missives that we received. Um, uh, hopefully, a lot of those people just had nice things to say about us or interesting things to say to us. And so we're gonna open 
We're going to open the invitation for anyone who might actually just want to talk to us and say hey, or give us some suggestions or some feedback, very nicely phrased feedback <laughs> that are that is strictly limited to our board game coverage, <laughs> not other qualities. I hate your dumb voice. No, don't. Please don't. I already say that to myself every day. I'm Scottish. <laughs> I'm Russian. And I'm offended. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes, please. Uh, the the I've already way in enough trouble with the accent police. I don't need other people yelling at me too. But if you do have anything you would like to contribute to communicate to us, you can reach us at twomostdifficult at gmail.com. Uh, we also have a very active Twitter account run by me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Accurate. Yep. At two most difficult. That is the number two most difficult. Uh, we are not on Instagram. Because nobody, I don't think, wants, needs to see this. Well, I mean, well you maybe, maybe we could start maybe. taking beautiful pictures of board games. Oh, that might not be a bad idea. That, that's a project. We'll put that on the project wall. We are not on TikTok because we are two adults in our 40s. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm not even mm-hmm. sure we'd pass the entrance exam. <laughs> we, we try to push submit. Yeah. It's like, no. Eh. Because it's constantly surveilling us. It already knows that we are in our <laughs> 40s. It's watching us all the time. Uh, so that's it. If you want to talk to us, it's just email or Twitter. Uh, and, uh, and I think that's it. We look forward to hearing all the feedback that we'll be getting, all the, the communication from our dear listeners. Right. Definitely the reason that we haven't already been flooded was because we had not specifically said before, right. you can tweet us or email us. And now that we have said that. Yes. It definitely yeah. will be because they want to reach out to us and not because we're giving something away again, because we're not giving something away. Aside least. from our reviews. Aside from voices. our reviews. <laughs> these, these great. All right. I think that this is time <laughs> to press the eject button on this one. <laughs> Dear listener, thank you for, for sticking around for 16 episodes. And we hope to have you back for episode 17. And most importantly, thank, thank you, you for, for honoring, honoring us with, with your, your ears. When you go to your excursions. (laughs) Oh, okay, that's it. That might help, actually. You're doing the rest of the the coverage in that. Nobody wants that. (laughs) I Uh, want that. (laughs) Shh, Oswald. Get back on top of the wagon.